I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the first book of the Bible, to uh, first book of the New Testament, to Matthew. We're in chapter 15 again this morning. Matthew uh, chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 21. You know, things are not always as they seem to be on the outside, are they? The same is true for people. People are not always who they appear to be on the outside. You know, we live in a world in which people are so frequently taken in by outward appearances. Uh, and, and I know it may be a bit of an exaggeration, but, but it, sometimes it seems like that nowhere is this more true than within the church. That, that within the church, we are so often uh, prone to un, uncritically uh, accept outward expressions when the inward reality is something that's very different. Uh, and, of course, when we're talking about faith in those terms... It's difficult to think of any error that has greater consequences if we're, if we're looking at and depending upon something that is, is external and it doesn't really match what is there on the inside. You know, in the passage that we looked at uh, last week, last week we, we began at the beginning of chapter 15, and, and there was a group of Pharisees and scribes who came up to Galilee all the way from Jerusalem uh, to confront Jesus, uh, that the, these men who were m- truly models of piety and of faith, the people looked up to them. They they really, uh, truly saw them as being uh, uh, people that they could depend upon, people that they would be instructed by when it came to the faith. But when they came up this time, he gave Jesus the opportunity as he had on other occasions, to point out to them and to others uh, how their primary concern, these men who were the, the, the religious elite, their primary concern was that which was on the outside. You know, last week we talked about the, the washing of hands. That, that was their primary concern rather than being concerned about the inward state and condition of themselves and, and of other people. Now, Jesus used this to teach what true honor and what true worship uh, is to the Lord, true honor for the Lord. Now, in this morning's passage, Jesus is going to distance himself uh, now. It seems to follow on immediately after the, the prior account, but Jesus distances himself from these men, the religious elite, and he, he does that partly geographically, but also in terms of who he goes to. He, he goes to the other extreme. Uh, he goes to a people, and in particular to a, a person who is not at all a part of the people of God, who, who doesn't uh, have the background to know about these sorts of things, and yet it's going to be in this person that we're going to see this morning the characteristics that we need to look for in ourselves uh, for true faith. Something that's not at all merely outward, but it's deeply rooted on the inside, an inward conviction. And, and so we need to know, if you think about it, that's really important to know how to spot that. 
how to see it, the marks of true faith, especially in ourselves. Uh, so I'm going to be reading, again, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. And I'll read down through verse 28. This is God's Word. And Jesus went away from there, where he was in Galilee, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this account that we have this morning. Uh, we kind of see at the heart of it uh, those words of the Lord Jesus. Great is your faith, and we recognize that we have a need for that, Lord. Uh, we have a need to be able to see that, to understand it, uh, to apply it to ourselves, uh, that, that, that those words might likewise uh, apply to us. And so we pray for your help this morning. Uh, we pray that you would... Uh, help us to have eyes to be able to see, ears to be able to hear, uh, to open this up for ourselves to see the truth that is here uh, and therefore to be changed by your word. We, we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I feel a little bit like, uh, as I've begun uh, preaching the past couple of weeks, a little bit like I've been focusing upon a fair amount my own journey, and that's that's not at all my uh, intent. It's just that these passages that we're looking at uh, right now, they they brought this out as I've thought back over my own spiritual journey, and that includes this morning's passage. So I hope you'll forgive me for focusing too much upon myself. But uh, last week. I mentioned the struggle that I had gone through as a, as a, a, a new Christian, uh, trying to answer the question, how is it that, that God calls us to, to honor Him, especially in practical ways, in outward ways? How are we to really to, to honor Him? And, and the particular focus was in worship, in corporate worship, uh, like we are today. What does that look like? And we talked last week about how the passage that we looked, looked at uh, applied to that. But then again, this week, uh, I, I want to mention another question that I continuously struggled with at a certain part in my journey. It happened to be when I was uh, just about to go into seminary, uh, of all places, uh, a number of years back. And I was struggling with this particular question. I continued to struggle with it all the way through seminary. 
Uh, it didn't seem to be the struggle that a lot of people around me were having, even there at the, the seminary, but, but I had this struggle. It was this question. Uh, biblically, who are the people of God? Now, that may seem on the, the, the face of it like a very simple question, and, and I know, you know there are ways that we can simplify that. You know, many people might just say, well, that's, that's pretty straightforward, easily answered. Uh, it's all those who have trusted in, in Christ. Um, and, and there's a sense of truth in that, yet at the same time, we've, we've got the entire Bible, we've got the Old Testament, we've got the New, and so we need to reckon with it all the way through. Who is this people of God? Uh, those ones that God says to them, you will be my people and I will be your God. Uh, who are they? Uh, and as we go through God's Word, we see, well, it, it's actually much more... Uh, it goes much deeper than that. Uh, it's much deeper than just a, a very simplistic answer. And yet we really do need to grapple with it and understand it in order to understand who we are. If we are those who are looking to and trusting in, in Christ, who, who are we today uh, as God's people? This is not an academic question. Now this, this passage that we're looking at this morning deals with this question. Uh, we're, we're not going to go into uh, nearly as much detail as I would like to uh, with this, but we will deal with it to some extent. Jesus here is going to this land that is outside of Israel proper, and he went there as the account in Mark's gospel that gives the same event, as it says, not wanting anyone to know that he was going there. He, he had had crowds that were following him, uh, we've seen that up to this point, but evidently he didn't want them to follow him there uh, so that the only people that he would meet there would be likely non-Jewish, uh, pagan people with a pagan background, godless in other words. And so Jesus goes there in order to teach something very important about who the people of God are. And he's going to show us that, that God's people are not uh, who we or, or who most people might expect that they are. They are those, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their outward appearance, regardless of their, their, their social, economic status, political alignment, you could go on and on those who are marked by a genuine faith in Him. That's it. That's the key characteristic. Now, there is an outward visible people, and we, that's very important. And we, we go to the Old Testament, we talk about who they are. We look today, we can talk about who they are. But uh, what we're talking about here is that, that people who, who continue forward, the people who he truly says, you are my people and I am your God and you will be with me uh, forever. That's the thing that is central. Genuine faith. And yet this, that's something that can be difficult to see because we live in a world in which people are marked by outward appearances, by uh, associations, uh, by alignments. And it really doesn't matter where you look. You can see this. Uh, you can think about in, in the school system that kids that are there can be, can be bullied. 
Uh, they can be on the outside just because of how they uh, may outwardly uh, appear. Or on, on the other hand, people can be accepted. They can be on the in crowd uh, because of what they look like or uh, because of their economic status or their social status. Or again, you know, the list is long. But this can be especially true and especially important when it comes to faith because people can be uh, dependent uh, for their faith. They can, they can see themselves on the basis of something that they have done. Now, it may be, I, I prayed this particular prayer, uh, and so that's what makes me who I am, or I've, 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 I've come forward to an altar call, or I've given of my money and my time, I've sacrificially given, uh, or it could be that I, actually, I teach from the Bible. Uh, and I, I stand in front of people and I use the right language, God language, you know, any of these, and so many more. They can, they, can, they can be present there alongside of true faith, but the danger comes in, doesn't it, when we look to those things and, and I say, this is what I'm relying upon, and therefore I know that I am of faith, that I belong to the Lord. That drives us back to that question, doesn't it? Who are the people of God truly? Well, in this passage, we, we get three, I'm going to call them identifiers or markers that we can see Jesus bringing out in his interactions with this woman that we read about. Uh, three markers of true faith, but it's not an outward marker. It's an inward marker. Uh, these, these three especially, true faith consists in humility, true faith consists in perseverance, true faith consists in an absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to heal, to heal, seen in the right way. The first marker there, true faith consists in, in humility. And here, here we're especially thinking about humility as contrasted with that, that sin of presumption, the pride of presumption that we saw with the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. And that's what, really what Jesus is doing here. We just had that other account, and we, we see this in contrast to that. And so what we see is that true faith is to the sin of presumption as oil is to water. You know, they don't go together. Uh, the first step in coming to Jesus is to come with empty hands, uh, without presumption, to know something about your own lostness, something about your own helplessness, unworthiness, so that all that we have to rely upon is what? It's His mercy. It's His grace. And that's what we see very clearly brought out with this woman, this Canaanite woman. Now, the only thing that we know about her coming into this passage, there's no indication that she was known before this account by Jesus or by the disciples. The only thing that we know is her background. She's not Jewish. Uh, she didn't belong, doesn't belong to the people of God, and, and she knows that. Uh, she's on the outside, if you will. And her very first words in coming to Jesus are these. Uh, you can see it in verse 22. Have mercy on me. 
O Lord, Son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Have mercy upon me. John Calvin said of this account, he said, this this occurrence tends powerfully to condemn the Jews. Again, uh, this is a contrast with the Jews. They who, he said, boasted that they were the heirs of the covenant of the Lord. They were His peculiar people, His royal priesthood. Yet they were blind and deaf when Christ, with a loud voice and with the addition of miracles, offered to them the promised redemption. They were blind and deaf. While this woman, who had no relationship to the children of Abraham, and to whom at first sight the covenant did not belong, came of her own accord to Christ without having heard or seen His miracles. He's speaking about this contrast between the presumption that was there with the Jews and a complete absence of even the possibility of presumption with this woman. She's got nothing outward to presume upon, no family status, uh, no social status. The only thing that she can claim, uh, lay claim to is the mercy of Jesus, of His compassion, His piety. Now a question in this account, what we read earlier. Does she receive that from Jesus? Does she receive from Jesus His compassion, His mercy? Well, at least... The, the answer is no in that moment because first he is silent to her and then Jesus says uh, a little further down, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, he's basically rejecting her and he's saying, you're on the outside. There's nothing that I can do for you. Now, how does she respond to that? She doesn't began to argue. She doesn't begin to say, but, but look at all that I have done. Oh, look, at, look at my life. Look at the people I've associated myself with. I, I'm every bit as deserving as the Jews. She doesn't try that. By the way, have you ever seen that in a, in a person? Maybe you ask them about their relationship with the Lord, uh, or, or maybe for some reason they begin talking about that. Uh, you know, I know I, being a, a pastor, I may come across that more often, uh, but that, that situation in which they begin to immediately go into all that they have done and, and, and all the background that they have. I, I, I've been to the, these churches. I've been a part of these things. I, I've done this. And they immediately go to this. Well, this woman, when, when she's told that she's on the outside, she has three words which she answers. As she kneels before the Lord in a position of begging, she says, Lord, help me. She continues to plead upon His mercy and nothing else. And then as we continue in this account, uh, we see this woman's final response to the Lord Jesus. After He says to her, this is verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now we'll talk in a moment about why, the Jesus, why Jesus would say that and why he puts it in that way. But notice this woman's response. Uh, she, she, she puts herself along with the others who are being placed on the outside uh, and she responds like this, verse 27, 
Yes, Lord. Now, right there, she's agreeing with him. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Notice she's unwavering in her humility. Uh, in this account, Jesus is the master. Three times she calls him Lord. She knows her condition. She knows her, her poverty. She knows that she is unworthy. And, and she simply agrees with what he had said. And yet she says that, but it's those that are in that place, that are in that condition, that need mercy. And so she's continuing to, to prevail upon him for mercy. And right there, right there, that is what the Lord Jesus is looking for. That depth of humility. Because at that point, there's a complete reliance upon what? Upon the mercies of God and nothing else. And the good news is that this is exactly what the Lord Jesus responds to. Notice he's been holding back all this time and he pours out his mercy upon her and upon anyone who comes to him with a heart that's in that kind of a condition, a true humility of heart. You know, Ephesians 2, 4, uh, that passage that we often turn to uh, to see the difference between being dead, spiritually dead, dead in sins and trespasses, and then it goes on in verse 4 to say, but God, speaking of the people of God, but God being rich in mercy, pouring out His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What great news that is for someone that comes uh, to the Lord with a, a true humility of heart. And I'll just mention that it doesn't end there, right? That, that mercy that pours out, uh, it continues on and on, kind of like a, a spigot that's been opened up and it begins to flow out. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. You know, all of this, and thinking about this woman is, is, is a reminder to me of an old hymn, uh, a Rock of Ages, that has that verse that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Uh, naked I come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This is the sense that we have with this woman as she comes to the Lord Jesus. And it is the sense that we should have for ourselves. Now, secondly, there's something that we, we can't miss as we come to this account. And that is that true faith shows itself in perseverance. Perseverance. Now, perseverance means that you continue on, even when things get difficult, even when it would be easy to quit, and perhaps all others might, might quit, but you don't. In fact, in this case, you, you can't. Why? Because you know that the object of your faith is far too great. 
It's far too glorious for you just to cast it aside and to, to give up on it. And so you're, you're ready and you're able to face whatever challenge it is, whatever difficulty, whatever unknown that's there, uh, you're ready to face it. That's perseverance. Now, it's again what we see from this woman. She perseveres in seeking mercy in the face of great difficulty, which brings us to the question, the question you might have wondered about, why is it that in this passage, why is it that the Lord Jesus is being so difficult here? In fact, you might even think in reading through this that, that Jesus is bordering on being, being cruel to this woman. Uh, as she, you know, she, she comes with a genuine need, she's crying out for his help. Uh, you can see her care for her, her daughter. Uh, my daughter has, has a, 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 she's got a demon, and this has not just greatly impacted our lives, we can't go on in this condition. There's a, there's a deep sorrow there. And so immediately, when we think about Jesus, what do we think about? We think about the compassion of the Lord Jesus, right? Now, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word, all, right? All you who come to me. Well, if any would be included in that, it seems that this woman... Um, out of Romans chapter 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And so why here does Jesus seem to have no compassion at all for this woman? Well, the short answer is that clearly he's testing her. He's testing her. Uh, you know, that's why he withholds an answer from her at, at first, uh, when we can go back to other accounts, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we had an account in which uh, people had, had, had cried out for his help and healing, and, and he had provided that uh, immediately, but here he withholds. Uh, and then when she uh, continues, uh, he, he answers her request by essentially saying that she's on the outside. You know, this is not... For you, and it goes on. There, there are three times uh, when he he basically makes it clear to her, no, uh, this is not for you. Uh, I may be the the savior. I may be the Lord, but this is not for you. But in the end, he relinquishes, doesn't he? And he fulfills her request. He heals her daughter. And so it's not that he was unwilling, but he's holding back uh, because. He, he, he's resisting her. Uh, he lays down a particular difficulty in her path that would make others stumble. But what's he doing? He's looking for a faith that will withstand all of that, a faith that will persevere, a faith that's grounded in the promises of the Lord Jesus, a faith that knows the Lord Jesus. Now, you knew this was coming. Uh, I said the shorter answer. Now for the longer answer as to, to why Jesus seems to have no compassion. Uh, in fact, we're, we're not really going to go there fully, but it has to do with who the people of God really are. Uh, and what I'd like to do is just to refer back to that passage that we read earlier out of, out of Romans chapter 15. Uh, and remember in that passage, it said that Christ became a servant 
to the circumcised, that, that the reason that he came was for the Jews. And so when to, the, to, to this woman he says that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, the house of Israel, that's exactly what he means. Uh, that he was sent to the Jews, he was sent to God's people. But do you remember his purpose that was stated in Romans 15? His, his bigger purpose, as we saw, it was in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And now that He's there, all these Old Testament passages come in uh, to, uh, to, to, to fulfillment. And He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And it goes on and on. In other words, this is the God for this people. One God uh, for this people. So Jesus purpose was this. It was that the Gentiles would be grafted in to this one people. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, further along, beginning in verse 10 or 11, from where we had read before that Jesus' purpose was so that there would be one people of God made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. And so this, this woman's humility and her perseverance is pointing forward to a time that's not so far from when she was living, uh, when there would be one people of God. And she would no longer be on the outside. And the Lord's compassion would be extended to all. That's who we are today. We are a part of that people, the one people of God. And so the test that the Lord Jesus lays down for this woman are difficult because they're telling her that she's on the outside, yet her perseverance is that of a person who knows that the magnitude of His grace and His mercy is, is great enough to provide for her. Uh, this is the perseverance of a genuine faith, a faith that knows the Lord, that knows His goodness, that knows His kindness. And you know, that's exactly what we should look for in ourselves a personal knowledge of God that's, that's able to experience difficulty and able to experience even that which is unknown, uh, that which we can't figure out ourselves. But we continue forward with the Lord Jesus because we know of His grace. We know of His mercy. Uh, we know that we, we don't have to be the ones to know and to understand everything but we do need to be the ones who continue and who persevere. That's a must. And so two things. It's great humility. Secondly, perseverance, both inward. And then finally, what all of this requires is a true faith which consists in absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to heal. And by heal, I mean to provide a fix for our greatest need. You know, with this woman, her need is represented by this condition that her daughter has. She's oppressed severely by a, by, by a demon. But for us, what's our great need? It is our sin condition. That's what needs healing. And so 
this third mark of true faith is that of certainty in the Lord Jesus. Now, what's, what's evident here is that this Canaanite woman knew Jesus by the Word of God. Uh, now, based upon this woman's background, she's a Canaanite, a pagan. Many might say, and there, there are a couple of commentators out there that say that this woman didn't really know anything about uh, Jesus. You know, this, this can't be true. If you look at verse 22 again, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. You know, in saying this, she gives evidence that she heard had heard somewhere, we don't know where, but had heard about the Lord Jesus. And she knew in her heart of hearts because she, she casts herself upon Him. She knows that He is the one that can provide for this, for her greatest need. And she knows the, the promises of God that are attached to that name. Uh, the, the, the Son of David. And so as she's expressing that, she's saying, I know who you are. Uh, and right next to her saying that, she's expressing her need. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She knows that he is the one who is able to meet that need. And so she's not approaching him with a sense of timidity. Uh, she's not saying that, you know, I, I think that you might be able to help my daughter. There, there are other things I've tried, but you might be able to do it. Sort of like somebody today uh, that has a serious ailment. Um, you know, I think about those who know that Callie, uh, our daughter, had a, a serious ailment in, in her back a while back. And, and, and what do you do in that case when you don't know what, where the problem really lies? Well, what she did or what we did was go from doctor to doctor. And so maybe first you go to a, a cardiologist and, and you say, look, I've got this problem. Can you help me with it? And they, they say, well, no, it's, it, it's, I've checked you out. It's not a problem with your heart, with your veins. Well, uh, next you go to a pulmonologist uh, and, and check out your lungs and breathing. And, and maybe the, the doctor there says, no, that's not it either. And so finally, you've narrowed it down and, and you go to a neurologist and you say, I've got this problem. I've gone to these other places, but, but now I, I think that you, you would be able to fix my problem. Now, I know that there are some here who have been through that process, and it's not an easy process to go through not knowing. Uh, in fact, the one thing that you long for more than anything is certainty, isn't it? It's knowing for certain that you can go to this this doctor, and they will know not only the diagnosis, but they're going to be able to, without a doubt, bring about the, the fix that is needed for the problem. Well, that's exactly what we see in this woman. She's not deterred when she's told by Jesus that she's on the outside, that she's not a pe part of the people of God, and, and therefore it would seem she and her daughter are ineligible uh, for the work of this particular doctor. But she's undeterred because she knows something about the mercy and the power of Jesus. And she believes that they are more than sufficient to provide for her exactly what she needs. She's got an absolute confidence in the Lord's ability and in His willingness even to heal so that she's willing to throw herself 
completely upon His mercy. There's nothing that she holds back. There's no sense that this is just one avenue that I'm trying. What about you? Do you have that, that kind of confidence in the Lord Jesus? And in His ability to, to, to care for exactly what you need, the sin condition uh, that you have, so that you're willing to cast yourself upon Him. Now, we've got many things that can stand in the way of our faith, so that at times our faith can be stronger, and at times our faith may be weaker. But that's very different from approaching Jesus as just one avenue, one possibility for meeting the, the, the needs that we have. And so the question for us, is there a hesitancy there? Or are we willing to cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus? You know, I knew a pastor once who would, every, every few weeks, every couple of weeks, he would repeat as part of his uh, appeal for people to follow Jesus, he would say this, he, he'd say, just, just try Jesus. Try Jesus for a few weeks, maybe just a couple of weeks, and, and go through the motions. You may not believe in your, in your mind and heart, but, but just uh, go ahead and open up your Bible. Uh, go ahead and pray and, and act as someone would who trusts in Jesus. Just, just try Him. If, if at the end of that you're not convinced that Jesus is the one that you need, then, then, then go on. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to just uh, criticize that too much because the Lord can use anything. That's not the instruction that we find here. Uh, that's not the way that we see that the Lord works faith in the heart uh, normally. Uh, the gospel is that you come to see your own sin, you come to see your own need, your un, own unworthiness. Uh, and it may be through some problem that He's brought into your life. Uh, but you've got this, this background need, and then, then the message of the Son of David, the Messiah, comes to your ears, and you hear that He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him. And you know, as you hear it, you know that there, there is truth here. You know your own self and your own utter weakness, and you, you begin to see and you hear, and you're convicted inside that He is able to bring about that healing that you need deep down inside, that it's the Lord Jesus who went to the cross of Calvary who can take care of and does take care of the, the sin need that we have. He can atone for your sin. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, Peter says, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by His wounds, you have been healed. And true faith says, these are things that I can know for certainty. I can walk and I can follow Him and I can know in my mind and my heart that not only is He able, but He will. True faith says that these are things that I know. There comes to be a certainty there. And therefore you cast yourself upon him. So these are the marks. These are the marks that we need to look for. And, and notice they're, they're not just they're not outward marks, even though, as I said earlier, those, 
Those are going to accompany. But what is it that we are dependent on for our faith? Do we see these things in some measure within ourselves? Uh, First of all, humility before the Lord. Secondly, a perseverance that continues on because you know the Lord Jesus and you know His provision for you. And then finally, underline it all. And this really is faith. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. Look at the definition right at the beginning. This really is faith, that there is a certainty there. Faith is never a step in the dark. That's what we often hear. I just need to have faith. Take one more step. That's not biblical faith at all. Faith is a knowing what's there. You just can't see it with your eyes. And so you follow, you cling to the Lord Jesus. And as you do, you can know that, that you're marked. You're marked along with all the others around the world who are marked by that true faith as those who belong to that people of God. And therefore, you're on the inside, which is good news. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your provision, for faith. We know as we look at that and we we see it with this Canaanite woman, we think about it uh, for ourselves, that this is your provision, this is your hand through and through that is making way for us to have not just one time, not just a time back in, in, in the past, but on a daily basis, that faith receiving and, and standing upon the mercies of God. Uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your provision. And we ask at the same time, Lord, for your help that we would see those in our own hearts, in our own selves. And where we don't, Lord, I pray that we would be driven, we would be driven to look to the Lord Jesus and to depend upon Him and Him alone for salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.